This is episode 36 of One Page at a Time, helping kids take control of their reading with neuropsychologist and co-author of The Self-Driven Child, Dr. William Stixrud. In this episode, we talk about his work with children of all ages over many decades and discuss how we can help our kids of any age become self-motivated readers. Hi, I'm Jill. And I'm Amanda. This is One Page at a Time, the podcast that empowers you to strengthen your family through reading. We talk about why you should read, how you can read, and what to read. So no matter where you're at with books, you'll keep rediscovering how important and fun it is to just read. We hope you'll join us on our reading journey one page at a time. Today's guest is one we have been looking forward to talking to since reading the national bestseller, The Self-Driven Child, whom he co-authored. There are a lot of things we could include in the bio of such an accomplished man, but we will keep it brief. (laughs) He is a father, he has a doctorate in educational psychology, and is a clinical neuropsychologist and founder of the Sixrood Group, which is a lifespan neuropsychology practice that works with children and adults. They screen and find solutions to neurological and developmental issues. He has been working and researching in the field for more than 30 years and is a proponent of meditation and de-stressing our children, which we could all use. (laughs) (laughs) He has a new book coming out in August of 2021 titled, What Do You Say? Talking with Kids to Build Stress Tolerance, Motivation, and a Happy Home. Welcome, Dr. William Stixrud. Hi, Amanda. Nice to be here. So we're going to be calling you Bill in the interview. and. I just wanted to uh, thank you again for The Self-Driven Child. We've already talked about this a little bit, but Jill and I have a hard time. We're pretty selective about our parenting books, but <laughs> one that we we like this one a lot. So we, I watched a video of you describing actually what Sticks Root Group does, hmm. and you emphasize the importance of self-understanding in children yeah. as a marker for success in adulthood, actually. Yeah. So we're going to talk about one area of self-understanding today, motivation. So we're going to then further hone in on a specific application and talk about motivation regarding reading. So I've always been very interested in motives and incentives, so I'm thrilled to talk to you about this today. And as a little insert for everyone, Sticks, Sticks Rude Group's work also includes a lot about dyslexia and ADHD, but we're unfortunately not going to be able to cover learning challenges like these in this interview because of time's sake. So I can recommend The Self-Driven Child as a resource that includes a lot of information about this area. And if needed, parents listening can combine what we talk about today with the information in the book to help better understand motivation to read in children and young adults with dyslexia or ADHD. So turn to that if it is something that you need. So Bill, let's get started. Can you first give us a little bit of context? Will you define motivation for us, just a general definition, and then how it's discussed in the book that you co-authored, The Self-Driven Child? I think motivation, my understanding is it comes from the Latin to, to move, I mean, to, to get going, to, to, be, to have the, the drive to, to, to do something or accomplish something. Psychologists oftentimes divide motivation into extrinsic motivation, which are things that we do because we're going to get a reward for it or we're going to do so we don't get punished for, for not doing it. And intrinsic motivation, which is motivation that comes 
comes from within. This is something that we want to do because we enjoy do it. We feel we feel we, we want to master something. We want to learn something new. We just enjoy playing a game or whatever it is. But it's that self-driven that doesn't require it requires effort. But but not that kind of making yourself do it that oftentimes is, is, is what you see with intrinsic motivation. So what we're talking about in our book is how do we, how do we help kids become self-driven children, these self-motivated, intrinsically motivated kids who are motivated to develop themselves so eventually they have something useful to offer this world. It's such an important thing for us to be able to find ways to motivate ourselves as adults. And I love that this helps us to apply that to children so that we can teach them these really important skills so that when they're adults, they can do the things that need to be done without necessarily wanting to do them. So yeah, yeah, I love yeah. it. And one of those things that you talk quite a bit about in the book is schoolwork. And reading is obviously very closely related with scholastic or academic endeavors. Mm -hmm, <laughs> so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we're producing this podcast in large part to shed light on the importance of reading and can talk all day about cognitive and emotional benefits of reading. But, you know, look at our website for that information. For this conversation, we're going to go off the assumption or foundation reading is very important. If for nothing else, then I hope that we can all be on the same page that for academic reasons to get through school, <laughs> reading is very important. But concerning research shows that children and adults are not reading the same way or perhaps the same amount that people did 20 or even just 10 years ago. And one survey that we've talked about on the podcast before is the Kids and Family Reading Report published in 2017. It shows there's a decline in reading by age nine or the decline by nine. And it's in part because somewhere around age eight, reading transforms typically from a recreational activity that's fun to being work that's required by schools and then forced upon them or attempted to be forced upon them by teachers, parents, and caregivers. So, Bill, do you see a connection with trying to force your child to read and your child not wanting to read anymore? <laughs> well, I'm not... <laughs> I think generally, when people try to force us to do stuff that, that we don't, that, that we don't, don't usually feel like doing it. I mean, and so yeah, I mean, the the, the chapter, the, the second chapter in the self-driven child is called "I love you too much to fight with you about your homework." And the idea is is part partly that we really you really can't make a kid. You obviously you couldn't make a kid read. I mean, you couldn't prop their eyes open and 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 uh, kind of try to force their eyes to go across the page. So and just making peace with the fact. That you really can't force a kid to do something uh, is really liberating as a parent. Also, you can't make a kid want something he doesn't want, and you can't make him. We, we could we could talk all night about how important it is, but we but uh, if we don't convince the kid, that then we're we're no better off, and we've really harmed our relationship. So yeah, I, I think one of the things that we want to do is let kids know that reading is really good for your brain. It's really good for your development, and and and, and most people once they can learn to read, they really enjoy reading. And at the same time, we don't want to be in the position of, of being the reading enforcer, or the reading boss who's trying to make kids read, because it usually doesn't work. And, and it, it typically uh, it does, as you said, Amanda, it turns kids off to reading. Yeah, it, it's unfortunate that there is such at such a young age, too, that this, this tends to happen. So can you think of some common but unfortunately counterproductive methods that you've seen 
either schools or parents use to try to get their kids to read or do homework? What are some of these things that we should avoid doing? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll mention that when our book came out, I was interviewed by an, an NPR uh, about it. And um, I tell the story in, in the book about talking about, I went, my daughter heard me uh, lecture about the adolescent brain when she was about 16. I was talking about the low correlation between grades and, and success in life. And she said, you know, I bet you don't really believe that. Everybody says it the opposite. And I said, I'll pay a hundred bucks for it if you get a C because she's a really good student. I just, I wanted to see that, to see what, what that getting a C wouldn't be the end of the world. And so the, the, the guy from NPR loved that, uh, loved that. So he, he had my daughter on as well, who, who was at the, at the time was probably 38. And uh, he asked her, what else do you remember? And she said, well, I remember when I was in first or second grade and the teacher ho- t- uh, sent home this checklist where I was, my dad was supposed to check off or my parents were supposed to check off that I was reading for 20 minutes every night. And my dad just checked off every day of the month and just sent it back and said, I, I don't want to make reading a chore for her. I don't, I, I think that we want to encourage kids to read and you know kids kids want they want their life to work but one of the most important things for motivating kids is our relationship with them. There's this beautiful theory uh, that I, I just love about how, how we develop self that self-motivation, that intrinsic motivation. It's called self-determination theory. And it says that, that for, kids, for, for kids to be intrinsically motivated, they have to have three needs met. One is for a sense of autonomy, which, which we don't want to force because we want that this, that this is their life. One is a sense of competence. So we want, we want to do everything we can to support their reading development so it's easy and enjoyable. And the third is a sense of relatedness. And if we, if we do too much forcing, you get into a nightly battle with our kid, it really undermines that relatedness and, and it minimizes the extent to which, which we can actually motivate our kids to read. So I, I think that if recognizing that we really can't make them is a, a really nice place to start. And this idea of I love you too much to fight with you about your reading is a really pretty good way to go. And then we say, I'll do everything, anything I can to support you to, to make reading easier, faster, b- b- better for you. What would you say, though, to the naysayers out there who say, no, no, this is not going to work? <laughs> if, if they are not told to read, if we don't keep track, if we don't set habits, if we don't do this, they're not going to read because my kid doesn't like reading. Therefore, they're not going to reap the benefits of reading. Maybe their children are teenagers. Maybe they haven't learned how to read yet and they're resistant to that. So what would you say to these parents as an advocate of reading yourself? How would you respond to to these parents or teachers? Well, well, that people have have, have studied the the effects of homework on learning for ninety years, and nobody's demonstrated that homework contributes to learning in in elementary school kids. After ninety years of research, nobody's demonstrated that you, that you need to do homework in order to to to, to learn. And so uh, that's why. <laughs> That's why in 1986, I wrote an article about how not to fight with your homework. And I, and I said, tell your kid, I love you too much to fight with you about it. So the idea that somehow, what, what I see with kids who don't like, who, who, who have trouble reading, is that there's, there's, they're told, read to your parents for 20 minutes a night. The kid hates it. The parents hate it because it's just so stressful. And it's completely and utterly unproductive. And for kids who don't learn to read easily, what we want to do is say, I want you to work your butt off in, 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 in school. I, for for you know, the reading period, really focus but then I don't want I don't want kids to have to kind of make themselves do it when they're tired 
after a full day of school, the brain gets nothing out of it other than resistance. So I, I am saying that I want to support kids in every way to become a good reader. But I also want to pay attention to what we know about the brain. At, at the end of the day, at night, when a kid's kind of tired and they're done with school, the idea that making them read is going to make them better, it, it just doesn't make any brain sense at all. Mm, so when would they read, do you think, in an ideal day? How would you fit reading into the schedule? So, uh, well, I, I, I think that, that working on reading skills, that, that, you know, really, really good scientifically based instruction reading, instruction and reading during the school day, really important. Having periods of, of, of silent reading uh, is really important is so they have periods during the school day where they can practice reading and enjoy reading. And for kids who don't like to read, what I recommend is that they listen, that, that they be, be allowed to listen because, it, because we know that the same brain systems activate if you're listening to, to a story or you're reading it yourself. And they're the same brain systems that have to do with comprehension. And I tell kids, who, if they don't like to read, I say, I want you to practice really hard during the school day, during your reading period to make reading re practice really hard to make it faster and easier and more effortless for you. But I, but I want you to develop a comprehension brain by listening. And I'll also say there, there's a really interesting um, study that was done a few years ago and uh, reported in a book called why Jane and John couldn't read. And it interviewed like 70 adults who were dyslexic as kids, really had trouble reading as kids, but became very competent readers as adults. And every single one of them said, it was because I was interested in something and, and, and I was allowed to read about whatever, whatever I was interested in. So I want periods during the school day of intense, really intensely delivered uh, scientifically based instruction, periods of silent reading during the day. If the kids don't like to read, don't try to make them during that period. Let them listen so that they get to enjoy they can enjoy a narrative. They get to enjoy a story or they learn something. So, but I don't think that repeatedly trying to force kids to do things ever results in, in the results that we want. Yeah, I, I can agree with my very limited experience with this. My oldest was very, she's only six now, so she's not that old, but she was showing signs that she was ready to start reading. And so, you know, I pull out this learn to read and 100 lessons book and I'm, you know, oh, we're going to learn to read. and This is going to be so exciting. And she was just not having it. <laughs> so yeah. so I just stopped and she was fine. And now she's reading. She's a, about a full calendar year younger than most of her classmates. And so mm -hmm. I was a little worried that, that they would pick up reading a bit faster than she would and that she would kind of fall behind and, and just feel like she wasn't a good reader. And that scare was really what had pushed me to do this. But as soon as I stopped trying to make it a, a big deal, she started to pick it up all on her own. And I think it came from exactly what you just said, that reading to her in school, but also here at home, and then also being around her peers and her cousins and seeing me read, you know, when you have the environment of reading, it, it just kind of falls into place, or at least it did for for this daughter, so well, and, and I think Amanda, I think it does for a lot of kids. And, and but the, the the other thing is that you know if, if reading becomes a big stressful thing if, for, for for parents and their kids, what what do we do to the things that make us stress? We try to avoid them, and that's what I, I see kids who just avoid they they, they 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 avoid reading at all costs because it's just becomes so stressful for them. Whereas if, if we if we take the attitude that look at that you, that you'll develop this, I'm not worried about it, and and, and you, if you don't like 
like to read yet, if it's reading the, the process of reading is still not enjoyable, then you can listen. You know, and I'll read to, I'll read you every night, or you, you go books on uh, get recorded books. But we just keep plugging away during the day to make this faster and easier and more automatic for you. And the other thing I'll mention is that there, there's we knew at least by the middle 1970s that the best time to teach a kid to read is age seven, because virtually anything is easier easier to learn with a more mature brain. What's happened? You know, I'm in, I'm, I'm in the United States. What happens in American education is we try to keep we try to teach kids now academic stuff at younger and younger ages. So it just takes 10 times longer. I mean, that, that, that in, in the United States now, they have a, the whole morning has to be spent on, on language arts. There's no time for science and and, and, and other things because just they're trying to teach kids to read when they're five as opposed to waiting until they're seven. They, they could teach them to read in, in, in a quarter of the time. So I, I think that that brain maturation piece is, is really huge as well. In addition to this idea of, of letting kids know that reading is important and it's, we want them to become good readers, but if they don't, if, if it's hard for them, we don't we don't worry about. It. We could, in part because we know that that, that kids who that dyslexic kid kids kids who really have significant difficulty reading as adults, they're actually more successful than most people in in several important areas, including including financial success, entrepreneurial success, creativity, visual spatial ability, certain kinds of scientific thinking. And so I I I, I want kids to, to I want the message to be I'm not worried about this. And so there's not this pressure to read, but although there's a lot of encouragement, and as you said, Amanda, a lot of modeling. You know, we read, we read at home. We have a family reading period at night where you can read or you can look at a graphic novel or a comic book or you can listen to something recorded. But we, have, we devote time at home to, to engage with text. In, in some way. I love that, you know, if you convey the message, I'm not worried about this. This is not stressful. I enjoy this. The most important thing is the relationship with your children or with your students or, you know, whatever background you're coming from listening to this. But I like that approach, number one, because it relieves so much stress from us. It takes the pressure off of us as the adults, you know, teach this all important life skill at the designated time and the designated place and the structure and the reading charts and all the things, you know, just takes that all away. Wow. <laughs> Adds different kinds of, you know, difficulties, but it's, <laughs> it's a little, um, I, I feel like it's more freeing in a way to kind of break this chain of you must do it this way. It must be, you know, this many minutes. I feel like the 20 minute a day is a pretty common thing. And even as adults, we, you know, try and make ourselves read for a certain um, amount of time every day or a certain number of books every year, which Jill and I just published our episode about our 2020 reading goals. And we both had numbers. We had put numbers on the books. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I think that's, that, but they're self-set goals. Mm. And, and, and it's, it's a huge difference than saying you need to read for 20 minutes a night, whether you like it or not. And my feeling, what, what I tell kids and families is, 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 is that to tell the kid, if you, if, you, if you aren't too tired and too stressed and you can read, even if, even if it's hard, if you can practice reading for, for 20 minutes, your brain's going to make new connections. And, and then when you sleep the night, those connections are going to get basically built into to, to, to your brain. They get stronger and stronger when you sleep and it'll, it, it'll really help you. However, if you're too tired or too stressed, it's a complete waste of time. 
it is not even it's not just a waste of time it's counterproductive because it just makes you hate reading more and, and so I, I I want to be clear I, I, I want kids to understand that reading is, for, for most people reading is really enjoyable it's important I want you to be a really good reader and practice is, is the way you do it but forced practice. Uh, for, for most kids, I mean, they, 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 certainly at home, I mean, we, they, in school, kids kind of, they, they expect the teacher's going to, okay, I'm just going to make me do, do the reading part. But at home, trying to force kids to, 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 to read or to give them the message that somehow that this is so crucial, they, they, they have to, to, to fight with them to do it. It's just counterproductive. Yeah, I'm seeing that more and more as I've tried different methods to kind of promote reading. We we don't have libraries here where I live either. And so that takes an entire environment out uh, <laughs> that I'm used to using. And so when you have your home setting, which should be the most important environment of all anyway, but when you have your home and I've been trying to, you know, set timers. And if you read for 15 minutes, I'll give you a big marshmallow, you know, doing that <laughs> has not, it hasn't been long lasting. However, if I just grab a big stack of picture books and stick it on the floor and I sit down and I start looking through them, they all come over and we end up reading for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you know, <laughs> it's it's a fun thing and there is no pressure or stress. And so it, I, I see this in my own life and I can see how it would promote this love in, of reading in them that would maybe motivate them to want to read and to keep it as a pastime, even if their teachers give required reading and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I, I, I certainly, um, so because <laughs> nobody, nobody's demonstrated that you need to do work at home in elementary school in order to, to, to learn as much as, as if you uh, as if you don't that the idea that you're gonna you're gonna just force kids to do something make them hate reading even more is, is just stupid in my, in my point of view and I, I really I, I encourage parents to say this this isn't going to work for my kid and you know what, what you just described Amanda where you 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 show, you show reading how you you kind of modeled that you, excitement about reading this you know just okay I, I want to look something up you know and, and you, you read it with the kids watching oh look what I just saw it. We can model for kids. We can show them how fun it is, how great, how how satisfying it is. We don't know something. Let's go look it up and find out. And you read to, to, to get, get the answer. I, I think it's I think it's okay. I mean, a lot of people who are parenting experts say we should never use rewards with kids. I, I don't necessarily think that, but but we but we know from research is that, for example, uh, if, if um, my my kid didn't learn to read easily, my my my, my daughter did. But I have two kids, both both of whom have PhDs, who had no academic pressure at all. I mean, I walked. I walked the self-driven child walk, and they had. So did my wife. We had. They had no academic pressure at all. And um, my son didn't learn to read easily. And at all, he couldn't read it at the end of first grade. And so, we, in second grade, we got a tutor for him in, in school who worked with him, who, who he loved. And but but he didn't have. And that at home, that he just listened. He just listened. He listened to books on recorded books uh, endlessly. And he really it, it shaped a brain. That once the once the physical process of reading got easier for him through practice at school, by the time he was in sixth grade, I mean, he, he could read anything. He was and he, he became a really a great reader, even though he didn't learn it easily. But it was it wasn't with any forced practice. Wonderful! I love audiobooks for our family, and Jill does as well. And they've been a huge help for just calming down. And um, it's almost a I don't know if a meditative experience is is the right mind word for it. But when they're able to do something else with their hands too, they don't feel so restricted. And I, I find that they're able to listen a lot longer. You know, if they're drawing a picture. 
building with Legos or something while an audiobook is playing or I'm reading to them or or something else. So it, it really is a good way to get reluctant. Re- or I could see how it could be a, a good way to get reluctant or hesitant readers involved. <laughs> well, yeah. And you think about it, I mean, human beings have been telling each other stories for 50,000 years. I mean, listening to narrative is so primal to human beings. You, you think about why, why are the bedtime stories? Why do so many adults, before they go to bed, they want to be reading, they, they, want, they want to read a novel. That we're, we're wired to, to want to, 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 we're wired for stories. And I think that I, in terms of in terms of, of, of doing something with your hands, my, my son was probably between seven and 10 maybe, a lot of the time when he's listening to books, he'd be playing Nerf basketball. We had a little Nerf basketball hoop on, on his door jam in his room. And I hear him kind of crashing into his door as, but as he's listening to these books, uh, but he's listened, he probably listened to hundreds of, of, of books. And we know that listening develops the same circuitry in the left part of the brain that, that does reading comprehension. So it just doesn't make any, we, we, again, we, I, I separate it because I see so many kids who have reading problems. I say, let's separate out the mechanics of reading, which is, which is being able to, to sound out words, developing a sight word vocabulary, and being able to read with sufficient fluency or, or speed or ease from, from the comprehension part. And we want to, for kids who don't learn to read easily, let's plug away during the school day. And, and if, if necessary, ideally, we get we get a tutor, one-on-one intervention for kids who don't learn to read easily is really important. It's really powerful. But, but so let's plug away at the mechanics during the day and during silent reading period. If, if the reading's still not enjoyable, listen and, and much, as much as you can stand at home, listen to develop the same brain circuitry that will eventually do reading comprehension. Oh, that's wonderful. I like that. Well, we are getting close to being out of time here. There is one more question though that I wanted to be sure to ask. It's brought up in the self-driven child a little bit that there is some difference between boys and girls as far as bringing them to find their own intrinsic motivation for things. So mm-hmm. can you give just a little, maybe how the difference between boys and girls attitudes or physiologies might contribute to reading in this sense? Sure. How, how might it be different? Sure. Um, girls' development in, in, almost, in almost, almost all the skills that are necessary for school learning is, is, is much faster than boys. And by the time that they're in, the time they're in first grade, they tend to be about a year, on average, they tend to be about a year ahead of boys in their motor development, their attention development, their impulse control, their language skills, um, you know, that, 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 that the, the preponderance of, of reading disorders or language problems are boys. And reading is largely language. It's incidentally visual in the sense that your that, that, that your eyes take the, the, the ink off the page and sends it to the visual cortex in the back of your brain. But then it goes up to this, these language systems in the left hemisphere of the brain. So reading is primarily language, and, and girls are more advanced in most aspects of language, including the aspects of language that have to do with with sounding out words, being able to hear the individual sounds in words, and also with the the, the, the vocabulary, the language development, the grammar development. So girls just have this great advantage. And in, in, in a lot of Scandinavian schools that they start boys at, at age seven, girls at age six, because because recognizing this. And so it's very common for boys to, to, to re- be more resistant to reading, in part because it's harder for them when, when they learn to read than it is for girls on, on, on average. And also, it, it, they're less developed, as I said, in their ability to pay attention, their impulse control, their fine motor control, that, that kind of stuff. And also, girls... 
in part probably because on average they tend to be more empathic. Girls are more concerned about disappointing their teacher, and they're more eager to please their teacher. So they're more willing to go along and, and do stuff the teacher wants them to do than boys are, on average. Oh, well, that's so interesting. And it's really important for us to realize as well. <laughs> Correct. All right. Wonderful. Well, did we miss anything, Bill, that you'd like to cover? I, I think, well, I, I don't know if I finished my thought when I was talking about rewards, you know, that... that um, we, we can we can use rewards if if what we're using them is to support kids for their own goals. I mean, there's a lot of kids who it's really hard to make themselves do stuff. And and what I say to kids, would you like to work harder than this than, than you do? And if they say, yeah, I say, is it that you just can't make yourself do it? And they say, yeah, that's what it is. I said, do you think that, that if I if I offered you incentive, your parents offered you incentive to do it, might that help? And I think I think if we use rewards for framing it that way, so it's, I, I, I'm not, you need to do this and I'll give you, it's not, it's not trying to bribe them to do stuff we want them to do. It, it's basically to, uh, helping them uh, meet their own goals. I remember my my son who didn't learn he didn't learn math facts easily. And I think in fifth or sixth grade, uh, you know, a lot of them still weren't automatic. And I, I said to him, you know, that it's completely up to you. But if you want these math facts to be more automatic, I'm I'm, I'm willing to offer you a little incentive to do it. So I'll I'll, I'll give you a buck if you for for eight the eight tables and the nine tables and seven tables like that, and or, or something like that. And he did it, and you know, and he memorized it, and and because because most kids with with learning issues, stuff that doesn't become as completely automatic as easily. So they, they, I think he regressed a little bit, but but he did really work, and and for for a while he had them all mastered. And so I'm not totally opposed to, 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 to saying, if I give you a little incentive, would it help you meet your own goals? But, but I, I don't think it helps to just lay, to say you need to do this, and and here's a, here's a, here's a reward for doing it. Um, so I wanted to make that point. And um, one other thing, we don't have to worry. I mean, the, the, there's there's so many so many kids who don't like to read, who, as, as I was saying earlier, who through their own interests, they get interested in something and they read everything about it. And I th also think that part of the reason that I think we wanted to be developed these these family silent reading or silent listening time, reading no matter what it is. I think that part of the reason that the reading drops off after age nine is that by many kids at that time are, have been on screens a lot and been exposed to that very that much faster pace, that, that the, the, the screen, the kind of reward structures of, 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 of games or, or internet or YouTube. And and re reading just becomes less interesting. And I think so trying to build in the, the, the idea, we do this as a family, that, that, that we all do it is, is really important, even if even the kids are listening as opposed to reading. I love that. I think only time will tell just how much screens are affecting our children. But we do know for sure that reading is very beneficial. So we have the track records for that. And we're starting to see some rather scary things about time on screen. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> play the safe road. Yeah, yeah, completely. No, and I'm glad that you also brought up these self-set goals again that and that you gave examples for what we can say to help them work through it as a consultant, which is what the self-driven child is all about. You know, stop helicoptering, start he consulting for a better relationship with your children and to build that intrinsic motivation. And I love being able to apply that to reading. Yeah. Great. So thank you so much for joining us. I'm guessing there are 
quite a few people who would be interested in learning more about this topic and your work in general. So can you tell us just a bit about where we can find more information about you and your research? And also please tell us about your upcoming book as well, because I'm excited about that. Sure. So, I mean, uh, I, I do, <laughs> uh, my, my co-author Ned Johnson and I, we, we got a pretty nice advance to write the book and uh, we don't make any money on book sales. So so I, 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 I'm selling you this because it, it says, I, I do think it helps people to, to, to read the book. In part because the message is that is to not be on top of your kid all the time. My motivation of writing the book, the self-driven child, is to make it. There's so much science in it. Is to make help parents see that it's safe, not to worry about their kid all the time, and not to be on top of the kid all the time. And it's that we can trust kids that they want their life to develop. That they don't want to be failures. They don't want to suck at stuff. And so we think about this shift from I'm their boss or their manager to I'm their consultant. And I think so. I think that getting the book would make sense. We, we have a, um, there's a website, the selfdrivenchild.com uh, that, uh, and, and Ned and I do a, a, a weekly podcast, half hour, um, just kind of little, like just a little talk. We, we converse about various topics or questions that, that our readers have raised. You know, I, I, I personally, my, my work as a neuropsychologist, I'm part, part of the Stixrood group and it's stixrootgroup.com. The new book, it was also be published by um, Viking, uh, which is an imprint of Penguin. It, it's called it's called What Do You Say? Talking to Kids to Build Stress Tolerance, Motivation, and a Happy Home. And it's in some ways a follow-up to the self-driven child, but it's much more about how do you talk to kids? How do you communicate with kids in a way that supports that 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 independence, that supports that sense of autonomy or sense of control, that supports that intrinsic motivation? How, how do we communicate with kids in a way that, that, that we communicate healthy expectations, as opposed to what I consider to be toxic expectations that makes kids, kids feel really anxious and really stressed. How do we talk to kids to help them if, they, if, if they're stuck in something? How do we help them to talk to them in a way that, that, that promotes change? How do we talk to them about the importance of sleep or about how to manage technology? So that, that's the kind of stuff we talk about in, in this new book, which we're pretty excited about. And it'll be cu coming out in August or September of 2021. Oh, I'm so excited for it. I've already got it on my list of <laughs> things right. to right. make sure that I, yeah. that I have someone bring over or whatever. <laughs> I love The Self-Driven Child. And I've also found a few people who follow this as, um, I guess you'd call them, parenting bloggers. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I found a few people on social media who follow the self-driven child methods. And I agree with pretty much everything that they do. So I, I just love everything about this. And thank you so much for joining us and helping us learn how to help our kids have intrinsic motivation for reading. I really appreciate it. Completely my pleasure, Amanda and Jill. Uh, and best of luck to you. Amanda, I don't think we could have made it more clear in this interview that parenting books and just self-help books in general are not my thing at all. I recognize before anybody like writes us angry emails, I 100% recognize that they have a solid place in the book world and they do much good for people who use them and love them, but they don't really speak to me personally, which so far has worked out just fine in my life. Uh, my and I think it's fine. 
I just want to insert that in there. I think it's totally fine. We all have different things, different types of books that we like. And, you know, I'm not a big romance reader, for example, but a lot of people are. And parenting books, I don't know. I hope that you're not feeling too defensive about that. I think that parenting books are like self-help books, are like cooking books, are like <laughs> whatever. Just... Some people like them and some people don't. Some people like one style and some people don't. So I don't know. Nice. I hope that no one is too judgmental on you. I will stand up for you <laughs> here. <laughs> I appreciate that. And I appreciate you saying it too, because I think you're right. And I will not judge anyone for the books that they don't like or do like. And we'll all just be happy together, right? Well, I don't know. I think there are some books that really no one should like. <laughs> But not genres of books. There you go. Not genres. We're not cutting out entire genres. That that's where we draw exactly. our line. So there are several children's books, especially that's a huge issue with that you could. Uh, but not a, not children's book as a genre. I am of glad books, you so. are not cutting out the entire genre of picture books because we might have some issues. We'd have to have some chats. Yeah, I don't even know if we could have a podcast about reading. <laughs> In families without without picture books. <laughs> appreciating picture books, yeah. Anyway, sorry. 100%. Got way off track there. But, uh, tangent, <clears> but it's a good tangent. Too. But parenting books yeah. haven't been a big part of my repertoire thus far. I have to say, though, my oldest son is a very, very quirky individual. And he has been a quirky individual since the day he was born. He defied so many norms of newborns and babies. And so from day one, my husband and I have spent his life trying to figure him out and how to have the best relationship with him on his terms, not ours. Going about it the way that he feels and the way that he recognizes things, not the way that we think he should. So he's seven and a half now. This has been seven and a half years in the making. And we are now trying to get through school during a pandemic. And it has pushed my husband and I to all sorts of our limits. We are hitting wall after wall after wall. I mentioned in our last episode with Kai that we recently did two weeks of virtual school with this kid after one of his classmates tested positive for COVID. So um, two full straight weeks and it did not go well. We had this interview with Dr. Stixrude in the middle of those two weeks. And I think at that point, I was just desperate enough for help that I was willing to turn to pretty much any source available to me, including a parenting book. <laughs> I think you're you're kind of being a little nice here, but also I, I don't know if desperation was your sole motive because I practically forced this book on you. <laughs> I'm also not a huge parenting blog or book reader, but uh, I don't think I have the same feelings, strong feelings, aversion. I don't know what you want to call it uh, as, that you do, but I kept seeing the self-driven child come up again and again and again, being recommended by people I follow mostly on social media. And there's one woman that I mentioned, Ralphie Jacobs, that I started following a little while ago and I really like her. She's at Simply On Purpose, I, I think is her is her handle. It will link it in the show notes. But um she started posting videos of her role playing, what it means to be a consultant in your child's life, right at about the same time that I was reading Grit by Angela Duckworth for like the umpteenth time this last year. <laughs> it's a good one. You should read it. <laughs> but I, I guess that the two just kind of clicked together. It was also available on Scribd. It was a short read and I was intrigued when I searched about the authors and I watched a couple interviews with them online. So I mean if you're you're going to get into a parenting book, 
even if it's not your particular cup of tea usually. This is one that I actually bought and had shipped across the ocean to me. And now it's scribbled in. I've read parts out loud to my husband. I, I don't know how he feels about that. But, <laughs> you know, I, I, I feel strongly enough that I did it. I'm not sure either of us, Jill or I, really can more strongly endorse a book in our own way. The fact that you even touched this book and the fact that I now own it. <laughs> in tangible form. I have post-it notes stuck in it. And I also sat down with my husband and read him chunks of it out loud last night. So you are not alone in that. I will admit though, that I still haven't read the book all the way through. I think part of my problem with self-help books is I'm a pretty fast reader. And so I read them like I do all books. And so I'm done in like two days. And it's like an entire book's worth of information that I'm supposed to now implement in my life after two days. And it just it does not work. So I'm trying to pace myself with this book. So I'm reading a little bit and then working on what those chapters have kind of shared with me. So I'm only partway through. And also just a, a heads up in case Dr. Sixrood is listening to this or in, <laughs> in case you take fault of this, it's a very intentional thing that we do often that one of us will read yes. the book in its entirety and one of us does not yes. so that we're, we get different we perspectives. A different, yep. Exactly. So that we can fill holes. Because, you know, it is if you both read it and you both do the research and you both are interviewing and, you know. This is our method, people. It's our method. That's our method. But now that we've had the interview, no offense intended, now that we've had the interview, I'm ready to read it. I'm working my way through. And what I've read combined with the interview has given me some very very doable ideas and they make me feel like all hope is not lost. I am obviously passionate about reading and I have long loved reading for myself and I have an entire podcast dedicated to helping all the kids we can reach love reading. This is how strongly I feel about reading. But the past few days, it has felt really good to let go of control a little bit when it comes to my son and the struggles we have getting him to read. Right now, he soaks up audiobooks and any books that I read out loud to the kids. He just drinks those in. He can't get enough. I have realized that this is, that's reading on his terms. That's reading, that's what he chooses. That's what he, that's what speaks to him. And I can work with that. Why? It's kind, it feels very similar to what Bill shared with us about his own son. His son made his preference for audiobooks very clear. And he went with that. Bill, you know, let his son make that choice. And, and my son is doing the same. So why try and force something else on him? There is nothing wrong with audiobooks. Just because they aren't my preferred method of reading does not mean that my kids are going to feel the same way as me. And that is something very easy that I can let him have control over. And we do have this whole podcast to do essentially, you know, what we talk to Dr. Sticksroot about. We are trying to help you want to read so that you as adults are self-driven readers and that you pass along this inner motivation to read to your children as well and the children that are in your lives as teachers and caregivers. And I mean, breaking down the podcast and how, why, and what covers all the bases for the self-determination theory in this book, assuming we as the hosts are doing things correctly, of course, but everything he talks about is applicable to us as adults and to kids of any age. So if you yourself don't want to read yet, but you want to want to read, you can follow the same principles, but apply it to yourself. So learn about why reading is important, how reading works for you, what things you want to be reading, and then just practice in whatever way works for you. So what really gets me about this, though, going back into the parenting mode, 
So this parenting method that's in the self-driven child works for me because it starts from a foundation of the relationship that you have with your children. And that makes total sense to me because of course your kids will resist what you're trying to tell them to do. I think anyone with a child, anyone with a toddler especially, or who has had a toddler (laughs) before knows that no matter what it is, if you tell them to do it, you know, they're not going to be inclined to listen to you. And especially if you have a bad relationship with them, no one wants to feel like something's being forced on them. So, I mean, this extends from parenting into the classroom and we put reading back into it and teachers and librarians, you have a big role to play in this. Parents, you should be talking with your kids' teachers about your expectations. I would love to hear from a teacher who has tried the method of sending a chart to check off reading every night and see what your experiences have been. Because we hear from Bill about his parents' side of things, but you know, we'd also like to hear your experiences as teachers and as parents who have had a conversation about reading with their kids' teachers. I feel like the daily reading charts are pretty common. I feel like summer reading programs are really common for librarians. We'd love to hear if any teacher has been on the receiving end of a parent responding to your assignments, like Bill has, with a, I'm purposefully not going to do this with my child and here's why, (laughs) and how you reacted to that. But also, we've read and heard from teachers that it's pretty obvious, usually, who is reading at home and who's not. So for those kids not reading at home, What have you done as a teacher to help the parents or the kids themselves to be motivated to read? And, you know, do you change the way that you teach inside the classroom? As Bill had talked about, you know, it's good to have intensive, structured, scholastic diving into, (laughs) for lack of better words, but, you know, it's better to have that happen at school. And what does that look like with a child who reads at home and a child who doesn't read at home? Do you alter it? I I don't know. I would love to hear from from teachers especially, but and parents. I haven't had this come up yet. Have you, Jill? Have you spoken to any teachers about reading programs or I guess homework? But I haven't. It hasn't really been a huge issue yet with us because for me, I... (laughs) I've always counted the reading we do together as their reading time. So I haven't necessarily, I mean, pretty much all their teachers since kindergarten, you know, the whole two years since kindergarten with my oldest, um, they've asked them to read for 20 minutes every night. But like I said, I count, if he doesn't want to read on his own, then I'll count the time we're reading together as family. And so the teacher, I just assume that the teachers can recognize that we read as much as we can as a family and we're doing our best and they haven't brought anything up to me. so. That was a really long explanation of saying, no, I have not encountered this yet. (laughs) Yeah, I've just kind of avoided it because we get books sent home in French, especially with our kids who go to a bilingual program in their school. And I've just kind of avoided it, honestly, because how am I supposed to read a French book with my kids? I don't know. (laughs) When you don't speak French. (laughs) And the teachers have never really given a satisfactory answer on that one. So I'm like, well, we can just sing a song in French instead. I I don't know. But I've just ignored it. I haven't actually had a conversation with the teachers about assigned reading or anything. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so the other thing that I want to know about this interview is how parents who homeschool fare Mm -hmm. with this, because Bill separates out learning periods in the day from silent reading periods, and then reading at home is, you know, for relaxation, rejuvenation, for fun. So homeschoolers, how do you go about this? 
And maybe we need to interview a homeschool parent for a how we read episode, but reach out to us if you homeschool or if you find yourself struggling with this because suddenly, yay, distance learning, Ooh. you're the teacher and the parent. <laughs> So we want to we want to hear from you if you are balancing reading at home being the only place that you are reading right now by choice or or not by choice. <laughs> this was a fantastic interview and I'm so honored and grateful that Dr. Stixrud was so generous with his time to chat with us. What I've learned through this experience is to not automatically discount forms of help when we need it. I've gained some very valuable insight into my kids by reading um, something that for years I vowed would never work for me, a parenting book. Working with and raising kids, I feel like stretches us beyond anything we thought. And we definitely hit up against so many struggles that we never have before. And that might mean turning to sources of help that we've never turned to before. It's true. And I, I think that when we're struggling with something as parents, we come across something that we are unfamiliar with. It's good to look for new ideas and new concepts and everything. And when reading is important to you, it can be devastating. It can make you feel so guilty and so bad as a parent if your child does not want to read. And I imagine it's that way for anything. I mean, if you're a professional musician, for example, and your child has no interest whatsoever in even learning to read music or something, it just, it can have such an impact on you emotionally and mentally and, and on your relationship with your child as well. So I loved this interview from the perspective of helping our kids to be motivated to do anything. I mean, that's what the book, <laughs> that's what the book talks about is just parenting in general. But um, this interview in particular for using this methodology to help our kids be self-motivated readers is something that's just really important to both of us. And I'm glad that we had this opportunity to talk with him. We anticipate turning back to this episode often as parents and we hope that you find it helpful as well. And I mean, just a reminder to look at the book for additional tips for dyslexia and ADHD. Uh, Dr. Stixrud is actually quite an expert in dyslexia. So there are a lot of web of resources on his website as well. And we really want to hear from you on this one. At the end of every episode, we have a sort of call to action. And this one we really want to hear from you. We want to interview a homeschooling parent or a teenager about how you read in your home. If you want to join us yourself, or if you want to kind of nominate someone we should talk to, please email us at one.page.podcast at gmail.com. That's one spelled out, O-N-E dot page dot podcast at gmail.com. Or reach out via our social media, our handle being at one underscore page underscore podcast. And thanks for listening. We will talk with you soon.